the time has come. The time is now. The CBS Sports MMA podcast returns. And it returns with a bang. Armed and underwritten by that unmistakable, untraceable performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, unquestionably the voice that you hear. Look, I'm back. I'm ready to unleash a new era of combat audio on the masses. Welcome to the Machida era. No, Joe, not that era. That era lasted one night, basically. This era rolls on. BC fired up to recap all things UFC 231. Wow. If you want blood, you got it. Just bleed, baby. What a wild night of fights from Toronto. We will also preview the the MMA to come this weekend on the UFC Milwaukee card, the, fi- the final and what has been, what, a seven-year run for UFC on Fox. Good fight atop that marquee with the rematch between Ally Aquinta and Kevin Lee. You're going to like that one. We also got a sit-down with rising women's star, two-time American judo gold medalist Kayla Harrison, who returns on, what, New Year's Eve for the PFL? We'll hear her thoughts and maybe even her boyfriend, UFC lightweight and welterweight Tony Martin is going to join us there in the background a few times. We're going to do that. And with me to chop it all up is my co-host, the wise man himself, Boca High North football state champion's own Brandon Wise with me. Brother, how are you? I'm doing great. The blessed era is back, Brian. Yeah. You don't you don't forget it. Wow. Wow. Uh, I got a lot of explaining to do here, apparently, you know? Yeah, you do. What yeah, a wild do. weekend of fights. Uh, you know, uh, those out there angling that this could be the end of Max Holloway's career had a uh, big, heavy slice of humble pie to eat. Yours, let's break that down real quick, right? 231, <laughs> Toronto, UFC, Max Holloway. What an amazing performance. Fourth round TKO over Brian Ortega. And, you know, there were people, and I was leading that charge, be wise, that were fearful of his future after all the recent health, the unque- the the questions that remain, the, you know, the diagnoses that weren't there. Well, what we did say was that he can put all of that to rest with a strong performance. And you know what? He did just that. He went from should this guy be fighting again in some circles to is he the greatest featherweight champion in MMA history, which we'll also get to in a minute. But, you know, I get a lot of hate on the timeline for uh, jumping out there and being like, in the lead up to that fight during fight week, Max was not showing me what I needed to see. I didn't know if he was fully back. Kudos to him for proving that. By the way, not something I wanted to be proven right on for the record wise. Okay, so everybody firing hate at your boy BC at B Campbell CBS on Twitter. Yeah, I was wrong. I'm glad I'm wrong. Okay, I had concerns about that man. He's been in a lot of wars, turned pro at a young age, still banging, still hanging. Wow, what a performance-wise. Great to see that Max was not only okay, he's alive and well. And and we talked about it before that the concerns that you were talking about were pretty valid given how he looked in the last couple of lead-ups to fights because he didn't seem all there. He was answering questions very oddly. Every question at that final yeah. press conference, he basically punctuated by just screaming 10th Island without answering the question. Baby, 10th Island baby was the exact <laughs> word. So you got to got to quote the guy properly. So those questions you had were valid. They even made me waver slightly in my decision making because I picked Holloway when we had recorded this podcast last Monday. But after watching that press conference with you, I was like, 
okay, this is a little weird. Why is he still doing this whole shtick? Like, why isn't he trying to, like, prevent people from questioning him? And then he goes out and he puts on an absolute show against Brian Ortega. He landed 307 strikes in a 20-minute fight because they stopped it after the fourth round with the TKO. That was more than every single winner on the main card combined. How is that? that it's insane. That, it's in, in MMA, that's unheard of to have that many strikes in a uh, land in a fight. There's two sides to you saying that. There's the side of, like, Max was insane and on all night, and he was, dude. His accuracy, his speed, I I hope everything's all right in his brain, as I hope for all fighters. Physically, he's where he needs to be. But the other half of that argument is how did T-City take that kind of damage? And he was more than willing to come out for the fifth round, and so was his corner. And really, kudos to the doctors for, for, for throwing in the towel themselves. But you saw the damage on Brian Ortega's left eye. Um, I've watched Max Holiday's career. Holloway, not Holiday. Max Holloway's career. When he lights people up with clean power shots, you know what, wise? They go down. They get knocked cold. The, the, the god, Jose Aldo twice. Out, brother. Brian Ortega's yeah. got some kind of balls to take that kind of punishment and keep coming. What are you kidding me? It was unbelievable. We were sitting there watching this and obviously, you know, prisoner of the moment, you start thinking, Good Lord, where does this fight rank for the year? Because both dudes were just swinging and banging. Like, for as much as we credit Brian Ortega's heart, he landed a lot of shots on Max that we did not expect him to land. Because there was a sequence I saw somebody post on Twitter in a GIF where you see Brian getting hit with nine punches in a row by Max and then somehow landing a counter uppercut that everybody goes, oh, my God, he actually did it. And, and he looked it, like he damaged Max. Well, not just that. I thought he was landing the harder shots, and that's weird. Ortega's the ground uh, specialist. Holloway's the striker. Holloway was – but seriously, Holloway was landing the kind of shots that knocked people out, and Ortega was coming. But Ortega would eat three to land one, and I felt like, especially in that third round, I thought he had Max hurt. See, I don't I don't really agree. I thought that – I thought Max landed the harder shots all night. I don't – I didn't really see a point where, where Holloway – he had him stunned, like you said, in the third, but I didn't really see a ton of power. But it was mostly because he was either fighting from behind, like he was backing up or he was getting pushed off against into the cage, or he was just not able to land like a clean counter hook or a straight, you know? He wasn't in there. Sorry. My whole problem with Ortega's game plan, why didn't he ever try to take this fight to the ground? He well, stood, I mean, look, Holloway's he, takedown defense has become a thing of legend, and it was on. And really, you got to give Holloway credit. Anytime his back touched the ground, he was back up instantly. But you're right. It was almost he as if, if Ortega was like, I'm just going to throw punches, and I believe that I'm tougher than him and that I'll outlast him. By the way, it almost worked. There was a point in that mid-third round where I was like, this guy, this guy's taking insane damage to get there, but he may be turning the tide. When they came out for the fourth, remember when Holloway turned to Joe Rogan and predicted a knockout? At that moment, I remember thinking – Ortega's down three rounds, but he may have outlasted him. The momentum might be in his favor. So, wrong game plan, probably, but he almost, he almost pulled it off in some weird, psychotic, like, fight to the death way. Again, I just didn't, I never felt like Max was in serious trouble. You know, I could see it on Brian's face where he, where you might have said, hey, the bright, like, Paul Felder actually said during the broadcast that the bright lights might be getting to him here where he's not, 
able to pre- he's not thinking clearly enough for his game plan he's not strategizing well he's just standing there and getting lit up without having his hands all the way to cover his face on defense I didn't understand the strategy from Brian's perspective but like you said Holloway's takedown defense was insane that first takedown that Brian tried to go for where Max literally just scrambled as soon as he had his legs wrapped he scrambled back to his feet you were kind of like okay, maybe this is one of those kind of fights where T-City just can't do anything that he actually wants to do. Max's game plan, or Max's strengths are just so much better than Brian's strengths at this point that it's probably not going to work out that way. Yeah, it, 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 this fight, uh, you're edging your seat the whole time. There's a reason why we came out in the beginning and was like, this could be a fight of the year. If, if Max is okay and all things are equal, this could be a, a classic. It's because, look, it's a kind of thing on the boxing side, heading into Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, I kept saying. The determination in both of these guys to win this specific fight, like, when you get people that determined, you get special outcomes. And I feel like we were on our way, we were, this felt like a special fight at certain points, even though Max, to his credit, you know, largely dominated the fight outside for a short window in that round three, but he was outlanding, he was winning all the rounds. They made it that special. Ortega had to walk through hell to make it that special. But I made that comment in the lead-up that, you know, the thing that scares me about picking O'Holloway is that Ortega, we don't know his ceiling. And I still feel like we don't know his ceiling because I feel like he elevated himself to such a level to bring that out of Max that it made it a fun fight. Max is just better. Max is just great. Max is incredible. But in a weird way, unless the damage of this fight takes you know, a couple fights off the end of Ortega's career, which is, by the way, all in play when you take a beating like that. Who who in their right mind gets punched 200 times in the face like that with four on gloves and keeps coming? But if not, I almost felt like in some weird way this this elevated him. Okay, he's not as good as Max Holloway. That's, that's the bottom line. But he showed us, like, like gangster toughness. Ga- like, I mean... Ghetto man, and he fights in a ghetto way. He, I mean, I know he does. It just so happens that he comes from a kind of kind of a ghetto background. That's a big part of his story, like overcoming growing up in Los Angeles in, you know, gang territory and being on the wrong side of crime in a lot of ways. But, dude, can we just clap for, for the size of that man's balls? I mean, uh, he just, it's incredible. Like, rightfully so, the narrative is how great Max is. And that's what we're going to talk about, and it's true. But you don't have special fights like that if if the B side of it isn't willing to to die in there, and that's essentially what Ortega's Instagram post said this week, sort of just summing up his thoughts that he came out there ready to die, not notorious B.I.G. Brian Ortega ready to die, brother, fought like it, fought like it, big ones. He definitely did. He definitely did. And I think at this point, you can pretty easily say that those two guys are the best 145ers in the world right now. I don't think you can have much of an argument at this point for like the Chad Mendez's, Cub Swanson's, Renato Moicano's. I think this is what I said in the preview that we could get a two fight series out of these guys, maybe three if we're lucky, but I want another fight like this. Like we, you want, these are the kinds of fights that fans love that you see this fight and you're like, damn, when is the next one? Yes, <laughs> you know, like, yes. because it's just so entertaining and it's everything that you want. It's, there was no, there was never a point in this fight where you were like, Oh man, this, the action's slowing down. They're trying to grapple now. No, it was just straight stand and bang for 20 minutes, nonstop action. Wow. I, like, it's, it's just the intensity of this, that fight was just off the damn charts. I mean, Max is so calm and cool under pressure though. I mean, you gotta give him that credit. It's just, Stuck to his game plan, and 
you know, I don't think he gets enough due. Certainly not from me. I don't think he gets, I, I'm always picking against him. He certainly doesn't get enough due for how much he's rounded out his game. I mean, he, he's not a wizard on the ground, but his takedown defense certainly has been able to offset that. But what he is able to do in the fluidity of his striking, the accuracy, the timing, the speed mixed with the power, the fact that, like, I thought there were times that he was almost fighting too reckless and he almost got in trouble, like we mentioned in round three. Yet even with that, he went out there and dominated the fight. Like, there's times he drops his hand for no reason because that's the nature of who he is, and he kind of welcomes you in. But I think in some weird way, the fact that he does get hit, I saw it in the Aldo rematch. He lures you into a brawl because sometimes his hands are down and you catch him and he loves fighting and he loves brawling, but he just happens to have all the tools, meaning the speed, timing, and technique and accuracy and all that, that once you get into that brawl, no one's outworking him, by the way. That guy's got a, a gas tank and a half. So, yes, I'm finally coming around as I bet against him in basically every step of his journey, right? Thought Pettis would beat him. Thought Aldo was going to be too much. Thought in the rematch Aldo was going to come back and be too much. Damn, this guy's good. I, I mean, I'll stand on the rooftops and applaud it. And when he jumped that cage and essentially may have declared himself as the best in the world, which the UFC announcers quickly said to does this mean he's the best featherweight champion of all time? And now suddenly we got a hot debate on this. Guess who was the first guy to be like, I was wrong. And you know what? With two knockout wins over Jose Aldo, he might be the best featherweight champion of all time. Because by being forced to go the long road to get a title shot, if you remember, this division was hijacked by Conor McGregor, who owned a victory over Max before he was champion. And then never defended his title, as we already know, as he was effing around with uh, Nate Diaz for a year. Max had to go the long way, dude. I mean, he's on a 13-fight win streak. You don't see that. You don't see that for a reason, because normally you get that fight sooner, and then you might win a couple, and then you'll eventually lose, because that's the UFC. But what that has allowed Max to do is put together a resume-wise that I'm not ready to say he's not the greatest featherweight champion of all time. I think he's closed that door really fast. So here's what I got for you. I went through this this morning because I was interested to see who their best wins were and w- at what time, you know. So McGregor, here's McGregor's resume. His best wins are probably Max Holloway. We're talking just featherweight, right? This is at featherweight, yeah. yeah just Unanimous featherweight. decision. Dustin Poirier was a TKO win at featherweight. Dennis Seaver was a TKO win. Chad Mendez a TKO win. And the Aldo win in 14 seconds. He had 15 straight wins dating back to when he was still fighting in Ireland, 10 of those came at featherweight. Jose Aldo's resume looks like this. Uriah Faber, unanimous decision. Cub Swanson, TKO. Kenny Florian, unanimous decision. And then Chad Mendez twice. One was a knockout. One was a unanimous decision. And by the way, that, those and were both badass uh, performances from Chad Mendez. So you're, that's prime Chad Mendez. That's... Yep. And Frankie Edgar, he beat twice by unanimous decision. Holloway's resume now. Is Aldo TKO twice, like you said. Anthony Pettis, he TKO'd on a short note. It was a weird fight, but he still beat him. Um, Brian Ortega this weekend. Jeremy Stevens, unanimous decision. And Ricardo Lamas, unanimous decision. Well, let's throw in, by the way, stops Charles Oliveira back when that meant a little bit more three years ago. Submitted Cub Swanson. So, like, the more you look down that list, you go, oh, my God. He's got to... He's got a case, and when you're going to have a debate like this, Wise, I think what hurts McGregor's side of it, 
is that he didn't stay at featherweight long enough in the UFC, and the wins over Poirier and Max came before they became Poirier and Max. Let's be honest about that. Could you also say the same about Max, that he stopped a Pettis who had already been exposed, that he beat Aldo twice who had already been knocked out by Connor? You can certainly say that. But when you take the full volume of the run that he's been on and the fact that he's gotten better in each fight, and now the fact he's got a 13-fight win streak and he's beaten hellacious names. Look, I'm not trying to pull Aldo off the throne here necessarily, but there were some holes in Aldo's long reign at the same time. Max is just damn good, dude. Yeah, I mean, I think you can pretty easily knock Connor off of that list just by going through that resume and just nitpicking a little bit. Like the Chad Mendez win that he gets a lot of credit for was, was a what? One week notice for Mendez or two yeah. week notice? Um, and then the Aldo fight, I mean, we don't actually know what would have happened if he doesn't knock him out with that first punch, I, you that's know? That's a debate I still love to have. Yeah. What does that fight look like if it actually happened? It, I just think Jose Aldo's resume is just, while it might not have those quote unquote signature wins, he won for 18 straight fights. He won, he didn't lose for almost an entire decade. Like, that's incredible to think about, especially in an era when there was a lot of malfeasance going on where people might have, might or might not have been injecting steroids into their faces. By might or might not, you mean 100% they were. Right? <laughs> I saw Vitor's mohawk. I lived it. I know it. So I think Holloway needs a couple more to get to that upper echelon. My question was actually going to be for you while I was sitting there thinking about it last night and today. Was this more of a star turn for Max than anything? Yeah. Like, this was he the, had not had a show like this before where he just was absolutely dominant. He was strutting around the ring. He pulled that Cody Garbrandt move where he started breakdancing in front of Ortega at one point, if you noticed. Like, this was an absolute showcase for Max, and I think that's why Dana's talking about putting him at 155. Perfect transition more, there. I think because, look, when he had beaten Aldo twice and really made himself a top five pound-for-pound pound guy – and that was during the period where UFC was desperate for stars. They still are in a certain way, but desperate for stars a year ago, right? Like desperation to try to fast track everyone from Cody Garbrandt to, to, uh, Nganu to, to Darren Till. Let's, I mean, let's just put the rocket pack on everyone. And I remember we'd have the spin. Well, what about Max? Well, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't seem to have that connection. In an odd way, Brandon, he needed to go through some personal uh, affliction, if you will, from this really bad year for him, where maybe it helped that he had his name in those headlines when he was linked with Habib, but didn't happen. And now to the point where the biggest sort of narrative coming in there was, is he still that guy? Is he healthy? Is he okay? And a lot of weird ways to have that dynamic of a shift from we're scared for him to, oh my God, he might be the greatest champion this division's ever seen to could he really be the pound for pound king with one more giant win? there's an endearing element in that that I think that helped his star. And this was the right moment for him to headline a pay-per-view in a really fun fight. The amount of DMs I've gotten or texts from people in my life that aren't hardcore MMA fans, but that, you know, usually reach out to me ahead of the big ones. They were all like, that was the most fun card I've ever seen. That fight was insane. He captured in his performance there, helped, of course, by Ortega's willingness to just fall and die on his, on his sword, you know. That's a blood and guts effort. That's the kind of fight that's like boxing in the 70s and 80s, right? Like, it's just, that was just a blood and guts fight. You, people can't watch that and not come away 
thinking that you're a star and thinking that they love you and thinking that they need to follow you. Maybe it just took more time for him. I don't know. Uh, maybe when he's knocking out Jose Aldo, people are just not buying those pay-per-views. I mean, the numbers really do back that that part of it up too. But it's his time now. It's his time to become a star. Everything's there for him. By the way, he can really talk outside of the uh, 10th Island, baby, especially when he's involved in a trash talk situation. I felt like he was an untapped resource. If they can give him what he wants, which is a fight in Hawaii, I think you're going to see a, uh, uh, I think you're going to see a, this guy becoming a star. And what the interesting though is that Dana White does not want to keep him at lightweight, at featherweight at all. And in a hundred percent, like Dana White to come out at that press conference and be like, I haven't really talked to Max. But I want him at lightweight. You know, I hope he's okay with it. Is essentially what Dana White said. You know, moments after Max in the cage was basically like, I gotta defend my throne. I'm the king. This is interesting because there's giant money fights. My first knee jerk thing is to be like, why? One, 155 is so overloaded in a great way. There's so many names. Unless you're gonna do a tournament tomorrow to clear it up, there's so many guys that are deserving. But Dana's thinking two things. Build a star. And sell pay-per-views. And the idea of doing Max and Connor in one of the sexier rematches you can make in the sport, or Max and Habib, or Max and Tony, yeah, yes, 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 more, yes, what else you got? Max and Nate Diaz, yes, you got any more? Max and Gates, yes, run the whole list. Preston Poirier, yes, all of them. And maybe the truth is that he has, by winning 13 in a row, kind of cleaned out that division outside of Ortega. And maybe Dana's smart enough to go, you know what? Guess who's going to win the vacant title when his eye heals? Ortega, this Mexican-American star in the making who has giant balls. Right? Just going to let that sit there for a minute. Just let it sit there. DC, what do you got for me? I could be fat. I could not have a six-pack. But my dick works. My dick works. It really really does. It really does. Wow. Wow. All right. I'm going to go back a minute just because I need to yell at Dana White really quick for all of this talk that he did on Saturday. So for all of this crap about people cutting weight and having issues and whatnot, he's talking about moving this dude who just had arguably the best fight of his life up a division because he can see more money. While at the same time, the woman who lost in the co-main event, yes. who talks all week about how healthy she felt going into this fight at 125, he wants her to go back to 115. Are you kidding me, dude? Why can you never be consistent? That is the dumbest well, thing I've ever heard. In a way, it is consistent. He's following yeah. the money. He's following the money. That's that's his consistency, but you're right. You're right. It's so frustrating. It was so frustrating. It is. I, it is because you know he's like he's thinking, okay, Joanna proved – she probably can't fight it this way without power. So the only fight to make is a third one against Rose or a rematch if Andrade wins the belt or whatever. We can get to that in a second. You're right. But in terms of Holloway here, I might be all in on this idea because it's like who else is he going to face at Featherweight? He has cleaned that out. I was late to the party on a lot of things involving Max uh, Holloway here. But, uh dude, c- could you not see yourself popping for every one of those matchups I named? I mean, you're the guy that wants Connor Max too more than anything ever. Yeah, that was my big thing on Saturday night. I was like, at this point, what do you have to lose by not making this your tentpole July International Fight Week main event this year? You set up Connor with a soft-ish matchup this spring, right, in April, February or March after they get 
this uh, Nevada commission thing settled whenever the hell that gets done. And by soft so you get... mean cowboy or Aldo? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was talking Gaethje, but we'll get to that. Um, but you give him a softish matchup where you're almost guaranteed that he wins or gets a nice KO win to get his 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 click back, you know? By the way, Conor McGregor yesterday on Twitter, you would have never thought this guy has lost two of his last three fights in UFC. He's talking like, oh, I guess I beat the two people everybody thinks are the pound-for-pound pound greatest featherweights of all time and just retweeting everybody who sent anything to him. Yeah, anyway. That's how stars do it, dude. They 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 they, <laughs> uh, they change the they, – they swivel the narrative. That, that's, it's yeah, a, he's not 21-5 and five now. He's still 21-0 and 0 in his head. Anyway, so you set him up with a nice matchup this in March, probably at like 236, and then you build towards Max against Connor in International Fight Week where that is Max's last loss, and it's where um, Connor started his UFC career with a unanimous decision win over Max Holloway. Now, if you notice, that was Connor's last decision win in UFC. He was the Max is the only guy that has been able to take Connor to the distance after, besides uh, Nate Diaz in, in that yeah, run of fights. Right. Yeah. But everybody else, Connor finished. And that was still a young... Max Holloway, who had not yet built to this character that he is now and built this all of the rest of his skills. That was still a dude who was pretty raw who took Connor the distance. Now, again, I think that's when Connor had a knee injury, if I'm not mistaken, before that fight. So maybe that plays a little bit into it. But this is all part of the selling point for this fight. Oh, yeah. You can, you can make this into a huge deal, and I think it sells itself without any problems. And if you don't take it to International Fight Week, you take that fight to Hawaii, and my God, will oh, that do God. numbers? At the Aloha Bowl? Can you... At the Aloha Bowl. See, the problem that Dana doesn't want to go to, go to Hawaii essentially is that the, that the arena that they – what, for Hawaii basketball, whatever, is too small. Do it at the damn stadium. Do it at the damn Aloha Bowl. I don't know if, the, if it rains a lot. I mean, I'm sure it rains a ton there, but can you just <laughs> pick a day out in the schedule? I mean, look, Connor, Max, two. Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. Yes, everyone is. And you know what? There's nothing to lose in a weird way in that fight. All right. A Connor loss in any circumstance is a loss for the UFC in some ways. But it'd be non-title, and it would also essentially be a de facto number one contender bout in a weird way, even though both barely reside in the would division. It? Would it? Why not do that featherweight again? Connor cannot cut to featherweight. You don't think so? No, no, no. That's a bad idea. So I think part of Dana, Dana's main focus here on Max has to go to lightweight is money. But I wonder if part of it, though, is that Dana has concluded that Max's scary 2019 or 2018 was very weight related. And that if the he's not cutting weight, he's not, you know, uh, depriving his brain. And we're going to see a happy, healthy Max Holloway because I'm sure part of Dana is like, okay, I don't want to see this star who can make me a lot of money have to retire, have to have problems. So let me just put him at a weight that he physically should be at anyway. Look, I mean, there's certain guys you can trust that are going to make weight all the time. And there's certain guys that you're like, this is not a good move for them physically. So I wonder if that's part of it. Either way, Max is instantly crashes that scene and you're going to make fun fights and Imagine him against Habib. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, imagine him against I, any of those guys. I'm not sure Habib beats Tony, by the way. I love this division. I love everything about it. Yes, more the merrier. Enter the party. I still slightly disagree with that take about his weight issues because 
when you when we when we originally saw Connor at 145, you could see how much he was depriving himself and how much he was sucked in by trying to cut down that far. You don't really see that with Max, I don't feel like. When he was at the weigh-in on Friday, he looked like he normally does. He didn't look any different to me. So I don't know if it's all weight-related. I think it's money-related, like we were talking about before, where he thinks that that division is just going to make him all of the money in 2019 and that if Max is in the picture, then it makes it even more fun. Right. Cause what, the, what, what would your tournament look like, by, by the way, oh, right now? You God, said if he's thinking about tournament. <laughs> it looked fire. It, you know, I mean, <laughs> it would look uh, It would look like that. That's what it would look like. Wow. Um, yeah, so first of all, Dana is looking at the idea of three big pay-per-views are our whole year, right, financially? We have three giant pay-per-views. We don't care about anything else. So that's what he's thinking. But what my tournament look like? I mean, are you kidding me, dude? Can we call up the, the UFC's uh, lightweight rankings and just drool over what you. this might look like? I got you. So you got – where? well, first of all, where would you slot Max into these rankings? That's the other part because you don't know what he even looks like at 155 yet. As a champion moving up from a different weight class, you'd rank him for – you'd have to give him a high ranking. Like a three? Out of respect. Yeah, yeah. So Khabib is number one. I mean, Tony is he is in the tournament though, or is the tournament to create a new Habib? I mean, the tournament would take a long time. I mean, would he? All right, see, then, the problem is then keep, putting champions. Then keep Khabib out. Keep Khabib out. Let's say that the suspension is real and that Khabib's out a year. So we're doing this tournament over the course of the year. Tony's one. Connor is two. I'd say Max is probably three. Yeah, because Max doesn't win po- over him. Poirier four. Kevin Lee is five. Wild Edson Barbosa six. Edson Barbosa is uh, six. Justin Gaethje is seven, and Anthony Nate. Pettis is eight. And then you throw in Nate. <laughs> How many people is this tournament? Well, Nate wouldn't agree to that. He wouldn't even be in a tournament. Uh, you couldn't count on him. But you're going to have, you know, the winner of Al Quinta, Kevin Lee, could be an option in that. I yep. mean, if Vic bounces back and gets a win. I mean, look, Dane Hooker's fighting this weekend. That looks like a player in this division. Dude, this division is so sick. Uh, wow. I don't think UFC will ever do a tournament anymore, by the way, because I think it's too much uh, compromising toward a Bellator strike force idea. And it's probably just health issues. Right. And I think they stuff. want the flexibility to make the fight they want at the right time. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't, they don't want to see that play out, but yeah, great news to come. And you're right. Dana White knows the money's at 155. Make all the fights you can there. Make it. Uh, this co-main event we got to get into. Valentina Shevchenko wins the flyweight vacant title for women at 125. With an absolute domination, five-round decision over Joanna Young Jacek. I think the worst-case scenario for my fears coming into this bout remained true. No, JJ did not get knocked out. But Shevchenko, way too big for her. Physically stronger. And once JJ realized that she can't hurt Valentina, the fight was over. Now, you give Young Jacek credit, of course, for not quitting, trying to be a volume striker, Blah, blah, blah. Never wilted and went down and got, you know, finished. But this was man, you know, man against boy type stuff or women against, against girl type stuff. I mean, the second Shevchenko got that knock, that takedown in the first round and just mauled her. This is not a, not a good matchup, not a good division for JJ. I'm sorry. Maybe she does well because this is not a deep division against everyone else, but Shevchenko is a destroyer, bro. Yeah, no, I feel I agree with that. I see the thing is when we talked about this last week, she fought the game plan that I actually tried to explain to you. Like 
this is the only way that she can win this fight, and it's the only chance that she has is by staying at distance, trying to pick her shots, and go in on counters. She tried to do that as best as she could, but Shevchenko was an even better counter striker. So when every time that, that Joanna went in to try and either front kick or head kick, Shevchenko just countered with those crazy spinning back kicks. She nailed her on the one to the top, to the side of the head that kind of stunned JJ for a minute. And then, like you said, that takedown in the first round was kind of like the signal of, hey, this is my division. You need to get the hell out. My only thing is that I would say, I don't want to see, like, what, what is there for JJ at 115? Like, she's beaten everybody besides Rose. Right, well, the Rose, dude. The, the, the only thing there for oh. her is Rose. Look, JJ, we know, wants to start a family. So, I don't think she's going to fight much longer. I, the only, the here's the thing. only scenario I think she fights much longer. You ready? Andrade yep. knocks out Nama Yunus. And then JJ goes back down and says, well, I beat Andrade. So she wins the title from Andrade in their rematch. When, you know, regains the title. It's like Ali like in this, you know, late in your career, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, I'm setting up for that Rose fight or forget that scenario. Rose wins and she goes right after Rose. It's all about redemption because the only way for her to, to, she said coming in, I'm, I'm the GOAT if I win this fight. I'm the first two, you know, first two division women's champion. That was the only opportunity for her to sort of leap the line, right? Get ahead. Cause look, let's be really honest about something. Alright? You ready? You ready for this? Ronda Rousey's legacy. I'm not, I don't want to say it's not going to age well because it, it means so much in so many ways. But you know what? It's not going to age well from this standpoint. You know whose legacy hasn't aged well? Hoist Gracie. You know who Ronda Rousey is? The female Hoist Gracie. And the only way that sounds like an insult is because they came at a perfect time too early for their respective side of the sport. So while we're Ronda Rousey's run will always have a great place in our heart for the Mike Tyson element to it and the fact that she elevated women and did all these great things, she got exposed and, and left the sport once they caught up to her. So my point on that is... I think JJ could have taken her with a win there. I think Amanda Nunez with a win over Cyborg could take her. I think Cyborg already has taken her from that regard. So I think JJ saw that road to get there, lost the fight, fair play. Her only road to get back is to regain that title and maybe equal Rousey's total title defense record or whatever. Uh, I don't even know if that would really do it, man, because she's already lost twice. She lost twice to the current right, champion. She has the rematch being a really close five round, really fun fight of the year type fight that you could have gone either way. She thought sure. she won that fight. But again, like you'd be still down two to one to your quote unquote biggest foe so far in MMA. And you just, I mean, you can say that you finished it by winning at the end, but at the same time, it's like. Rose beat you when you were considered like the quote unquote baddest woman alive. But if she comes back, do you realize how much people in America love second act? Do you come back and you <laughs> beat the person that beat you? That's Ali stuff. And I mean that. That's, that's why people love Muhammad Ali so much. Cause he would come back and do that. Like, I'm saying she, that's, but her, again, that's her again, road. If that fight happens, let's say Rose wins though. That's, that's not a great look. To have three losses on your resume to Rose. And she would have lost four of five at that point. True. That's not the but, way that you want to end a career. Okay, but but she's already ceilinged in our regard, right? Like she's already got – if she doesn't beat Rose, then she's already gotten as far as she can in terms of, you know, legacy. Yeah. And she doesn't seem like somebody who's going to hang around for five years and beat 
second and third tier opponents just to get money. It seems like she's ready to get out of the sport in my mind. Yeah, I mean, and like we were talking about before, she had said that she does want to start her family. She wants to get out. She she said two years ago she thought she'd be done in two or two or three years. So that tells you right there where we're heading with JJ. And like you said, I just don't – there is nothing at 115 besides Rose for her at this point. She's Let's go down the list of 115. You ready, Brian? Jessica Andrade beat her. Claudia Gadelia beat her twice. Tatiana Suarez, I think she beat her too. Uh, Carolina Kolkiewicz beat her. Tisha Torres beat her. Carla Esparza beat her. Felice Herrig, I don't know if they fought. But, I mean, that's the no, top no, there's seven. No, no, there's no, no. So that's why she, so you say, what is it for 115 to get back and win her belt? Add to that resume. Cause if not, I think she's going to get out of the sport because she's not the kind that's going to just be a contender and she would be a contender at 125. She'd probably beat everybody. She can't beat Shevchenko and she knows it. The pro- she doesn't have power. She's a volume striker. It worked at 115. She got pushed to the limit a couple of times. But she was just tougher and had better cardio and wanted it more and had great technique. She's dealing with not only bigger players at 125, but the biggest player, and that's Shevchenko, who uh, she's a rock solid dude. She's just so- mentally, physically, she's just solid. You got to give her props. She's one. I, I still think she beat Nunez in the rematch. I'll go to my grave on that. She thinks she'll get a trilogy matchup. You know what? She probably will. You'll probably see that super fight in a year. It was pretty telling, I thought, that JJ didn't pull any of the theatrics in the in the way in or at the press conference or even in the in the ring before they started the fight where she was kinda of, she was just very humble. She was like, Oh, thank you for giving me the fight and all that stuff. Like that's kind of where you know like JJ's doing some different stuff now mentally. She's not that natural born killer anymore. She's just, Hey, this is what I this is this feels so much more this feels so much better. This doesn't feel unhealthy anymore. Like this is this is almost fun again for her because it's not like she has all that pressure on her. Okay, that's you know? an interesting take. I thought you were setting up to say that maybe deep in her heart she knew she couldn't beat Shevchenko or knew it was such a tough challenge that going the crazy person route and being the bully wasn't going to be the right fit for her to get mentally where she needed to be. That's That was another part of it that I was, I was thinking too was, yeah, she probably also had that – like for as much as she said that the Muay Thai losses didn't affect her, she probably also knew like, damn, her technique has just been re- re- found, re- uh refined for so long at this point because she even said that Shevchenko's been training in Muay Thai and kickboxing since she was like four <laughs> so and and JJ only picked up the sport a few years before that so yeah I mean I just don't know if JJ just knew that going in like hey I'm gonna go in there and give this my best shot I know I probably don't have much of a chance but let's see what we got but to your point like I was saying before flyweight division seems a lot more interesting to me for her Let's say that she goes through flyweight and then eventually gets another shot. Like, cause she can fight somebody like Nico Montano. She can fight Soraya Eubanks, your girl. She's moving up she, to Bantam, bro. Soraya moving up. What about Liz Carmouche? Okay, Gorilla. Let's do it. Sure, that's fine. But guess what? That gets her nowhere. If the end game is back to Valentina, she loses and she knows that. She can only be a bully at 15. Did you hear though? And by the way, at 231, a hell of a strong victory for Nina Ansarov over Claudia Gadelha in a fight I wouldn't have guessed that she could come out. And really, Claudia gassed late and wasn't able to be as explosive as she was in the first couple minutes of that fight. But the point of saying this is Nina, who we you interviewed on the show last week, uh, she says she's open to fighting her teammate, Young Jacek, if it has to be done at 115. 
Is that a soft landing for young Jacob to come back to, or is she only coming back for the big one? I actually didn't hear that. That's that's pretty interesting. I had actually kind of written that idea off because why would they do that if they train together and everything? But uh, I I actually don't hate that fight. It's not going to be very powerful, but it's going to be a very technical fight. It's that's the one thing about the flyweight fights that we had this weekend, both of them actually, and the strawweight women's fight between Kadeha and um, Ansaroff. There was just it was so technical, but there was just, you could just tell at one point there was just no power there. Like and I and I couldn't figure out. We were talking about it a little bit. Maybe against non-elites, Shevchenko can knock those people out, but it didn't really seem like she had that power still at 125 that she did at 135. See, I think she did. I think that as soon as she hit. Uh, Joanna clean. Joanna made that face that was like, okay, I can't just pressure her. I'm gonna have to be really smart on when I dart in and try to land, but I can't just try to overwhelm her. I think that she disciplined her with that power. Yeah. I mean, it's but possible, see- but, but to see Nina come out with a victory like that, I mean, Nina almost got knocked out in the first minute against Claudia. She was throwing <laughs> bombs. That was like some Shane Carwin type early stuff, and then suddenly the fade came. And wow, Nina stayed the course. She was tough. She was technical. I never thought she could get become this good of a fighter. We're four in a row now, and she's creeping closer to that title picture. Yeah, I see. I don't know what you do with her now because the top five is kind of interesting. Like maybe Carolina's a, a new fight for her, but she did just beat the number three. So it's like, where do you even put her in the rankings at this point? You know, she's climbing, and that's a bad. That's a bad she was loss number for and, and she. And she was number 11 going into that fight. Why Claudia took that fight, I don't even understand. Claudia didn't like, look great against the cookie monster in that last fight. She's going in the wrong direction. She's she's getting close to that gatekeeper status, I think, for 115. By the way, Claudia dating uh, Brian Ortega. That's come out during fight week this week. Can we call him uh, TNA City? No. No. <laughs> All right. Um, so, hey, speaking of uh, flyweights, now that Shevchenko's the flyweight queen... What do you think about Jessica Evil Eye as the first title defense straight off of the split decision win over Caitlin Chukagian? I always say that wrong. What is it? Chuchig- I think we called it Chuchigan last week, but I think you said it right just now. Chukagian. Chukagian? I don't know. Ah, whatever. Anyway, it was, look, hard fought win, and Jessica I is crazy, by the way. Evil I is crazy. Did you see some of her post fight interviews? Not just the one in the cage with Joe Rogan. She had a weird one with Brett Okamoto, she, where she said, if Dana White does not give her a title shot, she's gonna stomp his face in. So, um, alright, hey, I, I'm here for this, bro. I, sign me up for some Valentina Evil Eye action. You down? I mean, if she's gonna have that kind of personality, hell yeah! I'm There's here no for that. depth in that division, so sign me up, please. Like <laughs> her telling Joe Rogan to have her on her podcast because she keeps st- he keeps staring at her ass was just hilarious. I love it, love that, love that. Uh, good win there. So, uh, uh, do you take anything else away from this card besides the fact that uh, Cowboy Oliveira was basically became a horror movie victim against? Gun- <laughs> hey, shout out to Gunnar Nelson. He, his nose was bleeding. I thought he was done. Suddenly he turns that into a submission, and what did Alex Oliveira? Did you see that photo of him? He needed 29 yeah. stitches. This is the happiest person ever. Did you see him dance on his way to the cage, just like goofball happy? And then he's got a big smile on his face as he's getting stitched 29 times to the head. That was a vicious cut. This is like just bleed, baby. This is – that was gross. Are you in on, on Nelson again? Because no. I don't really know what no. to think of him. No, no, no. I was, texting, I was texting with one of our coworkers here during that fight, and he said – 
it took two elbows to turn Oliveira's face into a faucet where it's just blood everywhere just coming out like it's water. I ugh. Why do we watch this sport? <laughs> this sport's brutal. I mean that that moment when he put the choke on him and the blood like, that was bad. Well, he was bro. he was tapping before the choke even was fully applied yes. from what I could see. So that was like I don't understand how the ref didn't just like stop the fight before he even started that, but thank God Oliveira had the presence of mind to be like I can't do this anymore, guys. <laughs> wow. But, um, it, wow. But uh Nelson's coach, our boy uh, John Cavanaugh, yes. thinks that Gunner is going to get a title fight before the end of 2019. Oh, uh, well, happy, happy, uh, good luck on that one. I mean, are you, <laughs> ser- are you serious? Really? Like, yeah. no, no. He, he no. thinks that he's going to be a champion, and no, no. he's, he's getting better. He's yeah, no, he is getting better. Connor in Iceland. All right, no, he's a good fighter. He's stuff. That's a good victory. Seriously, Cowboy Alvarez was hot. That's a good victory. But let's let's not fast forward too much. Uh, you know. Tiago Santos sent Jimmy Manawatt to hell with a, with one punch and another kind of brutal bout there with a lot of blood. I was down for that. There wasn't no, there wasn't a lot of blood. There was just a lot of haymakers being thrown. Yes, Tiago Santos had that uh, big giant Thor's hammer on his chest, which doesn't look necessarily like a dong like Brock Lesnar's, but is still as gaudy. I like I like Tiago's better than Brock's at this point. Brock, Brock's sword is getting wider by the day. <laughs> Uh, but no, Tiago's Tia- you know, power is insane yeah, at 205, man. He was reckless in there, though. That's fine. <laughs> Why do you want him to be? Do you want him to be technical? Yeah, for his long-term health, yes. But uh, you know, <laughs> he did a windmill head kick where he whiffed on the first one and then followed it up with another one, and it landed perfectly. That was awesome. All right, we got to leave this card. We don't have enough time in this show, but uh, it, it brought it. It brought it this week. All right, I'm ready. I'm fired up for for two thirty two. All right, I'm fired up. Okay, Vegas, let's do it. I'm look. What a good year for UFC. Twenty seventeen blue. Twenty sixteen was the greatest thing that ever happened. Twenty eighteen took a couple months. Then we we what a year, man. It's been fun. It definitely has. I think what was our first two pay per views this year? It was it was, was Steep A against um. Against Nganu, right? And, and then, then 221. Rockhold, was it? That was Rockhold Romero because it was supposed to be Romero Whitaker, but Romero, but Whitaker got hurt or he, no, he had that, uh, he had that stomach bug or was that GSP? I'm getting all my fighters mixed up right I'm now. I'm all mixed up, but, but uh, what was that? What was the big March one in the U.S.? March, well, Mar- it was, well, March it was the April card. It was the April one because March was, um, <laughs> Was Yana Kuniskaya oh, against Cyborg? God. Yeah, that never happened. Um, then we get but the April also, one. And even, that was also where we had uh, Ortega against Edgar. True, and I was gonna say even though April in Brooklyn was a debacle for many reasons, we still got Rose, Joanna uh, too, which was hellacious. Yep. You were there. You were you were there. You were you were looking that up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, later, let's run through some latest news here. Uh, ben Askren calling your boy Usman a hypocrite for not accepting his challenge for an interim title. So is this Askren speaking out of school, basically saying, I know I'm supposed to fight Robbie Lawler next month, but I'll fight you instead for the interim title. You can't just do that, right? Why can't you? No, if you're Ben Askren, you can't just be like, yeah, by the way, I'll just pull out of this fight and fight you for the interim title. I mean, don't you need UFC backing on that? Well, I think he does have the UFC backing because Dana White went on a TSN with your boy Aaron, Br- I never say his name right, Bronstetter. That's my guy. Yeah, I love that guy. He said actually that they were considering it because, like, they were, they weren't, he didn't go as far to say as they were considering Askren against Usman, but he was saying, like, he is so mad right now at Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington that 
he's considering a welterweight title fight as a, as 233's main event and that he wants Usman to fight and that he even said that they are considering getting rid of that Lawler fight to make it happen. This is messy. So. It's So there's all kind of craziness right now. We know the first UFC, ESPN Plus UFC card is Brooklyn on January 19th. We know that Cejudo Dillashaw for the flyweight title got moved from the following weekend's UFC 233 card in Anaheim, California, to bolster up that Brooklyn card, which has already got crazy headlines because noted female beater Greg Hardy is on the same card as Rachel Ostevich coming off of her own battle with spousal abuse or domestic abuse there, which is uh, a headache to get into in a second anyway. But now we got Tyron Woodley telling Ariel on ESPN today that he's accepted a Colby fight. Like, this is kind of... So are we looking at Woodley-Colby to save 233 now that Cejudo Dillashaw is off of it with Askren in the co-main? Is that what we're looking at? That's a fun welterweight show if so. If so, Is that where the, the Lawler-Askren fight was going to be originally anyway? Yes. 233? It was? Oh, okay. So that – I mean that didn't really change much then for Askren if he does end up with a quote-unquote interim fight. But Well, he won't get interim I, if the real title is being defended then. No, no, no. But I'm saying let's say if Tyron – for some reason, because Tyron actually said that he he's accepted the fight, but he also isn't going to fight until he gets a clearance from his doctor, and that he and he's supposed to be going to his doctor at some point this week or next week to get that clearance. But he said, "I'm not fighting unless I don't have this clearance," and he's not going. And he also said, "I'm not going to fight if I'm not 100." So, you tell me if you can <laughs> if you can put these pieces together to make this all work because. I have no idea who's fighting on 233 at this point. So even this, this feels like a 230 situation all over again. It does. Even though this is embarrassing for the UFC, in my opinion, and ESPN to see this play out publicly the way it is, it's great for fans that this 19th, January 19th card in Brooklyn, which originally just had PVZ kind of headlining it and we're waiting on what's happening, now to get a title fight that good, even though it makes no sense for TJ Dillashaw cutting to flyweight for the first time of his career to get one week less to cut, and it makes no sense to take two Southern California or two California guys off of a card in Anaheim, but that's a great matchup. That card will be wild, and then a week later, if we can get Woodley Culvington finally, I know that's last minute to sort of build that, but with Ben Askren on there, I'm all in all the way around. Does this cover up the bad PR that they have been getting, will get, and deserve to get, though, Brandon, for... Now, you get why Greg Hardy would be on this first ESPN Plus card. This card is designed to drive subscriptions to the app. Greg Hardy is a crossover guy that they can put on SportsCenter and say he's going to make his full UFC debut on this card. You remember him from the NFL. Of course you'll watch. All of us are going, hold on a second. That's really bad PR, guys. You're putting negative headlines on there for no reason. I know Dana White's come out and been like, what's the problem? Rachel says it's fine. But did you notice one thing? When they pushed the question and said, hey, Dana... Did you ask her before you booked the fight, though? That's when he got all pissy and he was suddenly done with the interview. Did you see that part? Did you notice that part? You know what that tells me? He called her after the fact. They had no idea this was going to happen. This somehow snuck up on him. Tone deaf. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a great look, man. And f- for however they handle it, which, again, UFC PR machine. They work wonders sometimes. They figure out a way to handle these things. Dana White seemed very um, off of his game when it came to this one because, yeah, that was that was such a weird interview to begin with. But to his point, 
Rachel Ostevich did text multiple reporters after that interview and said, hey, his story is not my story. I really could give a crap, basically, what he wants to do with his life at this point. And good for her. But I don't like, think you can go because she says it's okay, we should all shut up. No, you can't. But if you're actually hearing it from her and not from Dana, <laughs> I think it's a little bit different, you know, where Dana wanted to put out his spin on it when Rachel actually like let the reporters know like, hey, this is how I feel about it, you know. So I think that makes it slightly different. Dana, Dana can't defend himself on this one. Like this is a bad look for him. But Rachel, like I get, I get what she's saying. You know, like it's a weird, it's not a good, like it's a bad story for everybody involved, right? Like this happened what three weeks ago with her case that they're still in, like going through the court system and everything. He's she pushed for a restraining order against him for the next like thirty years because of all the stuff that's going on, and. I read somewhere that he's going to allege uh, self-defense, which is – those situations are just always pretty scary yeah. for everybody involved. So I I think that the fact that she still wants to fight on this card, by the way, is amazing and astounding on its own. But now that you're adding in this extra layer after the fact, when this – like we said, the incident with her and her husband only happened three weeks ago. And then last week, they're like, hey, Greg Hardy, you're going to fight on this card. And by the way, I respect her wanting to stay on the card when Dana originally told her no, and she's like, I have to do this for other victims to show them that you can overcome. Like, I respect all of that. I respect everything about her, by the way. I think she's a good fighter, too. I thought, like, you know, I, I wish her well. This is just, it's just not a good look, guys. If, even, fi- if you're, the bare bones of why they signed Greg Hardy is for financial, right? So protect your financial investment and don't heap these headlines on them. All right, final bit of news. One championship starting to make me care a little bit, okay? They signed, Demetrius Johnson. They signed Eddie Alvarez. They made Misha Tate one of their corporate faces. They signed Sage North Cut. Now they signed my boy Sexayama. Yoshihiro Akiyama at 43. He's back. The, uh, Chatri Sidyantong, the CEO, was on Ariel Show last week and said they're on the verge of a North American TV deal. Wise. I love me some Sexyama. They might have a chance to make a run at Bellator here. Look, they're not UFC. They're not making a run at UFC. But to be a player in the U.S. MMA scene, they got pieces that I care about watching. If they can get a real TV deal, this could get interesting. Yeah, we actually talked about this last week where we were discussing what their potential partners are and where they could end up landing because I feel like the zone is going to end up being the one that makes the most sense for them just to pair them with Bellator. But – if somebody like Bleacher Report, Turner makes a move on them, if Fox somehow gets enough money to actually put them on TV, then you have more of a case for them. I just don't know if you can get them on national TV as opposed to just a streaming contract with one of these other outlets. I'm just saying I'm interested, and I'm, and I'm happy. I'm happy where this is going. Uh, PFL never really stuck me, even as WSOF, but Bellator, hey, let's compete. Let's compete, all right? I- See, I actually like PFL, though, just because of the concept involved where it's a point system for a season and then it turns into a tournament at the end of it. I actually like that no. idea. Whatever. You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Yeah, no, no. It's not, not my cup of tea. That's I got no apologies for that either. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. All right. Uh, we got an interview of the week here. You had a nice sit down at ATT when you were making the South Florida rounds with Kayla Harrison, the two-time Olympic gold medalist for the U.S. in judo. Transitioned to MMA, of course. 
has her own division, 155, will fight on that card December 31st, PFL 11 from Madison Square Garden in New York. She'll be facing Moriel Charneski, who has a 3-4 record. And, of course, there will be that first-ever female 155 tournament next year with the winner earning $1 million. This fight will take place at the Hulu Theater inside MSG. Uh, you will hear the voice, wise, of not only you talking to Kayla Harrison, but her boyfriend, UFC fighter Antonio Rocco, Tony Martin. Who Did you see that submission he had in UFC Adelaide over Jake Matthews when he got his back? Heck yeah, brother. Tell us about this interview here. Yeah, I mean, those two are really entertaining together. Like, I can see how their dynamic works at home and in training because they are just two, they're pretty opposite, but they're, they're so similar in the same time when they're talking about relationship stuff, when they're talking about home life, when they're talking about bets that they make, like who, <laughs> when, um, what's her name started her, her movie acting career. Um, what, you help me out here. Ronda Rousey? You know, no, not Ronda Rousey. <laughs> <laughs> Your other girl, uh, Gina Carano. Yes, 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 yes. All right, let's get right to it now, people. Enjoy. So how's everything going for you getting ready now again to fight? Yeah, everything's going good. Um, we leave Friday for Australia because Tony fights on the UFC card there. Mm -hmm. So uh, this time around it's been a little bit different just because – we both have fights kind of back-to-back, -back. Mm -hmm. so both of us being in camp is a little more stressful. Normally, it's like either Tony time or Kayla time, but yeah. now it's kind of both, we're both training really hard, so, uh, but training's going good, you know, every day I feel like I make improvements, I'm making gains, and getting better every day. How's that stress work out with your relationship where you guys are both either in camp or helping the other one in camp? It works a lot better when we're not training at the same time yeah because right now i'm fighting first so i have precedent so she has to she's doing all her cooking right now well <laughs> it's just like, like normally okay. like whoever's in camp like the other person picks up the slack so like right. they do like the laundry and they cook and they clean and they walk the dog and you know all of that stuff but like i'm training just as much as him and now i'm doing all of that too so it's like Brutal. I'm like a housewife <laughs> and a full-time fighter, and I never signed up to be anybody's housewife. Gotcha. <laughs> housewife. I'm a great housewife. I'm, great, did, I'm great at everything I do. So. so your fight is on the on Junior's card? Yep. How is that going to work for you? With You're only going to have a week of uh, time to adjust to the body clocks and everything, right? I think that'd be fine. I don't really... I mean... He's a really... He's like a, a master sleeper. So really? he's not going to struggle to sleep no matter where we go. I, I had to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> this is when we first started dating. So, like, I've been functioning on five, six hours of sleep my whole life. It's just mm. like I don't need that much sleep. When we first started dating, he was like, he said to me, he was like, this is not a joke. I need nine and a half to ten hours a night. And he like looks me dead. He's like nine and a half to ten. I was dead serious. I wasn't. And he's dead serious. He sleeps with. <laughs> you gonna talk about my eyeballs? He sleeps with earplugs. <laughs> I sleep like a baby though. I, I mean, I bet. Hey, hey, people just... struggle to sleep, and I'll be over here sleeping through the storm. I don't care. Yeah, dead to the world. <laughs> no, I know. But if we ever get like 
burglarized or anything, like I'm dead. He's gonna be passed out. I'm gonna already be dead. And this is why. That's why she's a fighter. Someone's gotta do it. And my dog's a total sleep. wimp too, so he's gonna be high. I'm gonna have to defend the castle. Like it's gonna be left on me. <laughs> How long have you guys been dating now? Um, less than a year. Less than a year, but we've been talking for. We've been friends for a while. Yeah. We were friends first, and then sort of just happened. I just can't get over my my beauty. <laughs> Did you meet here or did you meet somewhere else? No, so he was training in Boston when I was still in Boston. He actually, that's how we met is he sort of started helping me with all of my like cage wrestling and grappling, the grappling side of things because he was the best grappler in the area at the time. But he had already had plans to come down here and he had trained here before for previous fights and previous camps. So... Mm -hmm. When he moved here, I reached out and said, said, like, maybe I would come try it out. And I came, and I realized that this is, like, the mecca for MMA. And I was like, okay. <laughs> a month later, I packed up my... And I was down here. Yeah. What was your first experiences like after being in judo for so long and now getting into MMA? What was it like when you first stepped into the cage? Yeah, it's just a totally different... I mean, like, you know, judo is a combat sport, and it's, like, very... Physically, it's a grind, but at the end of the day, there are like there are rules. There's a referee. There's stops and starts, and a lot of pauses, and um, it's very like you can use the rules to to win a fight, you know, mm-hmm. win a, win a match. But in MMA, it's like it's as close to like a real live like fight as as I mean, it is a real fight, but it's it's the word I'm trying to say like. It's just real. You know, it's way more real and way more intense than anything I've ever done. And I love that about it. Like, I love that it's so mentally and physically challenging. You, know, you have to be always a step ahead. You have to be smarter than your opponent, but you also have to work harder. And you have to be more skilled. Like, it's, I don't know, it's like a human chess match, literally. Well, it's good. you mean like it's realistic in terms of this is how a fight could look in real life? If you yeah, it's like a real life street fight, yeah. except there is a ref there, but only to stop you from like poking him in the eye. You know, yeah. there's no one that's gonna say like, oh, okay, stop. Like, all right, let's start it over. Right. You know, it's like if you get taken down, like you're gonna get pummeled until you find a way to get up. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I love it. Now you fight at 155 now. Yep. Do you think that you're going to move down to 145 at any point? Yeah, I mean, that was always my intention from the very beginning. Um, You know, I'm very fortunate that the owners of the PFL just sort of were like, screw it, we don't want you to cut weight, we don't want you to be unhealthy, we want to be game changers, so let's open up this new division. Mm -hmm. And I said, I mean, I'm not going to say no to... She she walks in probably a lot, Amanda's bigger than her. Really? She doesn't want to admit it, but Amanda's bigger than her. She is. Amanda's half these 35 pounders walk more than she walks around that. Hmm. She's only fighting 55. I don't even know why she's fighting 55. She doesn't want to cut any weight. But I don't believe in it. <laughs> I don't. I just think it's like. But you see, like Cyborg, Cyborg posts photos of shredded abs. Yeah. And she's like, oh, 175. 175. See, and then, and then she's then she's crying like, can't. Caleb make weight. Caleb walks around like 160. Right. 
It's like, you know, it's, it's, they fight at 45. Cyborg's getting in her at 65, 70. Right. You know, she's going to get in there at, at one, 155, you know? So it's like, she's not that big, but people think because she's got biceps she's got these T-Rex <laughs> she's got these biceps no there's like this huge misconception I feel like in the MMA world right now because I fought such a high weight class in judo I fought 172 or whatever 78 kilos mm-hmm. like there's this huge misconception in the MMA world that I'm like this monster but then you, you like meet me and everyone's like oh you're not as big as I thought I mean I do I walk around at 160 to 165 and I don't I eat whatever I want like I mean I try to eat healthy Mostly because we're, one of us is always in camp, so we're always like eating moderately healthy. But it's always still my candy. And I, I do like candy. I do like candy and cookies. But um, <laughs> no, I mean I don't see forty-five being a problem at all. Only it's only a problem because I just don't morally believe in cutting weight. Like I just think it's a bad message to send to kids. Like it's a bad message to send to young girls. You know, if you want to, if you want to fight, I was I always believed. That if you wanted to win, you could win at whatever weight you fought, that you weighed, you know? If you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. It doesn't matter where that is. And I never thought, like, a lot of people cut down to avoid cyborg or to, you know, if they think it's going to help them compete better or this image, like, oh, big girls can't be beautiful or whatever. Like, I just don't believe in all that shit. So I'll fight 45, but it's only because I want to beat the best in the world, not because I think I have to fight 45 to be like the best or like the the right size or whatever like I want to do it because that's where she is do you think that because of what PFL was able to do for you and opening up a lightweight division do you think that that's going to open more doors to more divisions for women I certainly hope so I mean I think it's a no. struggle no yeah, he's there's not enough women well I mean that's the problem that's like you they know. can't even do a 45 pound division that's like the cart before the horse. Yeah, the the horse. Like, okay, obviously, uh, I take judo as an example. Like, when, when women's judo first started mm-hmm. in the Olympics, you know, was it as highly contested as the men? No. Like, there weren't that many women. But it took 20 years, and now it's completely equal. You know, there are the same amount of men and women in each category. So it's not... And each tournament you go to, it gets closer and closer and closer to 50-50, you know? There's always going to be that slight advantage just because it's a combat sport. There are naturally more men are drawn to it. But, like, you have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you just open up a division, there's not going to be any real depth to begin with. But 10 years from now, I certainly... I mean, women come in all shapes and sizes, just like men, you know? So 10 years from now, if the sport continues to grow at the rate that it's growing. I mean, it's the fastest growing sport in the world, especially for women. So if it continues to grow at that pace, then yeah, there's going to be more weight classes because there's going to be more body types. There's going to be more women. You have no choice but to open up more weight classes. To assume that every female in the sport or who wants to do the sport can fit within a 20-pound range is like, it's not realistic. But to go off of what he was saying... They haven't. They they made the division for Cyborg, but they didn't have any fighters for her. But have they even really tried? It doesn't. Right. I I agree with you, but they haven't even gone after it. They they brought in. Right, they, but that's not. They put but that's not like. So you're saying there's no one. To, there's no one for her to fight and all this, but they're literally. So they opened up. They did that no. Ultimate Fighter for for one forty five. Mm-hmm. They took one thirty fivers, pretty one thirty fivers, and like. 
45ers with no experience. The they didn't class. take any real fighters. They just picked what they thought would sell. Guess what? If you wanted to be no. a real sport, you have to take everybody. You can't just take the ones who look good. No, you can't just take the ones though. who talk good. You have to take all the fighters. She's being around the bush. She's not telling all Are you class. telling me like, okay, so every fighter, every fighter in the UFC who's a male is good looking or can talk? No. Well, let me tell you the real facts though. Okay? There's maybe three real athletes in every women's weight class. Okay? They're not real athletes. It's not, they're not, they're fighters. But that's but how not, it was when no, no, here, let, me tell, let me tell the facts before you keep interrupting me. Okay? They called Kayla. Okay? The, one of the only women, real athletes out there for that weight class of 145. They called her at Owen Owen said, hey, we want to build this ultimate fighter around you. They called her, but she was already signed on PFL, they had others at the time. Mm-hmm. And they tried to build the whole the ultimate fighter around her. Specifically, they're trying to build an Owen Owen fighter to come off this show to fight Cyborg. That's how desperate they are for a real athlete and a real fighter. It's not because there's not other, no, these are the facts. It's not because there's not other one for, it's not because Oh, there's these other 140. We just watched Pam Sorensen, okay, at 145 fight. She was supposed to be, Cyborg's calling her out uh, to fight her, her next fight, right? Mm-hmm. She fought for the uh, Invicta title at 145 versus another girl. Mm-hmm. That's the worst display of mixed martial arts I've ever seen in my life. She doesn't even know what an underhook is. Okay, don't touch. No, these are the facts. No, 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 I'm telling you, women's MMA is so far behind. Yeah, but that's because it's not... No, it's you can't expect something to develop if you don't yet. put any effort into it. It's hard for all the real women athletes, right? They're playing other sports, okay? They're playing basketball. They're playing these other sports. They're not growing up yet to want to be mixed martial arts fighters. That's what I just but said. Give it, it still is most of those girls, you know, are 145. Obviously, Ronda started an evolution. Right. And I expect us to see the results of that. I mean, look, I'm already going to be a result of that. I consider myself a real athlete. I consider myself a professional. I never would have done mixed martial arts if it weren't for Rhonda. So she's opened up that door. And for me, I'm going to continue that. So maybe there's a girl right now who's 10 years old who watches my fights and says, damn, I want to do that. So she trains until she's 20 years old. And guess what? Maybe she's a 155-pound monster. But she's going to be a well-rounded monster. She's not going to be just some girl who wrestled in high school with the boys and now thinks that she can fight, Mm -hmm. which is... The majority of what you see right now in women's mixed martial arts. That's only because it takes time to grow these things. Of course, men started 25 years ago. 25 years. We're 25 years behind. So give it 10 years and see what happens. Do, do you know? Give it 10 years. Who's the who's who started women's MMA? Who was the big name when you when when you first heard of women's MMA? I mean, it was Ronda. And it, was, well, it was Gina. It was, uh, Gina. Gina, Gina Carano. One forty-five. Was this is what 10, 15 years ago now? Ten years ago, Gina Carano, and then you have Cyborg come in, smash her, and there's been women for ever since Gina Carano came in, right? Then you had Ronda come in, so women's been been around for ten years now. Not to be fair way. though, but Cyborg, Cyborg, and Gina were still kind of the underground scene. Totally underground. Ronda's, yeah, Ronda's Gina, the one who brought it into the were, spotlight. Right. Only well, people no, who Gina were in though, pretty heavy with sport, the, the, the watched acting. that fight. Nobody was like, nobody watched, and especially like, it almost put women's MMA back 10 years because no one watched that fight and were like, oh shit, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna get mauled, you know? Cyborg and Gina. I mean, it was kind of a close fight, actually. But, like, well, it's over, it's over. it wasn't a mainstream thing until Ronda, for sure it wasn't. Well, yeah, because that was the same thing you say about Hunter. Crossover, 
Like she crossed over into the mainstream. I mean, like it didn't go the way that, but the way what Connor came in. The same thing. Like Gina was a star until she lost. She was in the movie acting. She's making millions of movies. She's of course she's a star. But before Connor, though, you still had stars. Yeah, but, say, but not like a not like a Connor. Same thing. You have Gina was a star, and then you have Rhonda come up, and then you you realize what. Now it's like, oh, you're comparing it to Rhonda. Of course, there's right now. There is I'm just saying, like, it's growing at a much more rapid rate, and you can't... Okay, so you, you're saying Gina was a star, but she was only a star... But she was a crossover star. She wasn't just she a star. She wasn't really a crossover star, though, Tony. What are you talking about? She was in the movies already. She's, Not when she fought Cyborg. Yes, yeah, she was. She was already going in the movies. What movie was she in? I mean, I can't tell the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> but she's a star. She but was. she's a star. It's because they're all she in, those, was like, in uh, She was in the Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, they're all in like those gay movies. Like, not gay, but I mean, I like Fast and Furious. But... But that was all until those, like, after those You know those weird martial arts movies? She didn't That's start what her they acting for until after Cyborg. You want that money? Yeah, sure. How much? Well, let's bet. 30 anytime, right now. 30 anytime. Okay. I'm not looking. I'm gonna look up. Gina right Carano movies. <laughs> <laughs> you look up when Gina Carano fought Cyborg. No, no, no I'm gonna look up Gina Carano movies first off. What movies did she appear? You can keep going down. Long <laughs> well, the point at, before we got off on this tangent <laughs> was more about the fact that featherweight they still don't even have rankings listed on UFC's website for it. So it's, it's like, what do you want? What's the goal here for her if you don't want to make a division? They don't. It? They don't like Cyborg. They don't want to, That's why they're having Amanda fight her. They're hoping Amanda beats her. And then they're going to get rid of the featherweight division. That's what they want to do. Guaranteed. Because she's not sellable or whatever. You know, she's not relatable. She's mm-hmm. not the star that they want. Then why did they bring her in in the first place? Did they think I think it she was? just got so good that they didn't have a choice. You know? She made it so that they couldn't ignore her. Yeah. Who? Uh, Cyborg? Yeah. Well, I think the real fans enjoy her. You know? Like yeah, of course. Real MMA fans are like, no, she's a monster. Right. But the issue is, this is the problem that you, people are having with mixed martial arts in general is, right, being a great fighter is not enough anymore. Mm-hmm. All right? And that's why you just talk to Colby Covington, right? He comes out, he has to come up with this whole spiel to become this, try to become a starter, try to get a title fight. It's because they're not going to do it off just the merit of his fighting ability. They're going to be like, no, you're a born fighter. All you're doing is taking down people and holding them. But he's beating the best fighters in the world. But that to them isn't enough. Because right. if you can't sell to the general public that don't watch the sport regularly, then there's no point in... They're like, oh, we can't make money off you, so you're worthless. So it's really not a real sport yet because it's just entertainment right now. Mm-hmm. So until, you know, at some point you would think they got to create a real sport, which the UFC is acting like 2007 is what I've seen so far. That wasn't a real film. That was a film about fighters. I just 2007? Talked. It was called Fight Girls. That Maximum MMA? Yeah, that's not a, that's not a film. Are you crying? So, they fought in 2009. That's not a film. She didn't start her acting career until 2009. You got uh, two minutes and then the PFL had you scheduled for absolutely nothing. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Are we just, are you owe me thirty anytime. What are you talking about? Two thousand nine. When did she fight? August two thousand nine. That was her. What? That's when she fought. Yep. She. The movie was in two thousand nine. When did you start filming a movie? 
one day before it comes out? Is that, is that what you do? What? You start American Gladiators? That's not a movie. That's not the one I came on to. MMA? That's not a movie. I'm talking about an actual show. An actual movie. That's not the one that came out in 2009. Okay, what came out in 2009? Blood and Bone. Have you ever heard of Blood and Bone? What the hell is that? Thank you. Move on. You decide. No, it's still a movie. You decide. I'm worried about what answer I give to this No, you give the right answer. No, you give the truth. I said she got the acting. No, you said she was already a movie star. No, you lying not, ass. She's never been a movie star. You do know. Did he not just say <laughs> that she was star. a movie star? And that's why she was a star because she was in <laughs> she's movies a and she was actor. a star? She's a terrible actor. She's not a you star. You owe me 30. Anytime. No, absolutely not. Yes, you, you do. You lost so easily. You're, you're insane. Give me 10 right now. I'm not giving you yes, shit. You, you lost. Is this how it is at home? Yes. It's like worse, actually. <laughs> you lost. You want to tell him who the best card player you've ever met in your life is. If you don't answer this truthfully, you owe me that 30. So you decide what's 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 worth it to you. He is a good card player. Uh, no, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> We're that's not, not doing it. I'm not going to No, then you're going to do that 30. You decide. You tell him the truth or you lie. That's it. You have two options. He's a really good card player. He's the best card player I've ever played. Bet. You've ever met? What are you talking about? I you don't look know. at yourself in the mirror and you tell yourself the same thing. We have good battles. Alright, is there any more questions? <laughs> sorry. I think we went on a rampage. Dude, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this was a lot more entertaining than I thought it would I be. Told so. you, I told you! No one listens to me. Pops. <laughs> Five. Yeah, right. You lost. I'm so annoyed. We're going to go out there and we're going to ask every single person. Okay, go What's, Gina a movie star before she fought Cyborg. That's what you said. You said she was a movie star before she fought Cyborg. And that's why it was mainstream. She crossed over to movie After. After. Oh, okay. Released one day after. Next question, please. I'm so mad at you right now because you're not admitting that you're wrong. Next question, please. Alright. So, what is. What is your goal once you get done with PFL? Do you think that the UFC will be next year or in two years? Uh, well, so I'm scheduled to fight in the tournament next year, so all of 2019 I'm booked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really, you know, I'm not going to say... Obviously, I'm very thankful for the PFL and everything they've done for me, so I'm not going to say, oh, screw them, I'm off to the UFC. Like, that's not how I want to conduct myself in business or as a fighter. Um, they have the option. We have they have thirty days or something to match whatever anyone says or like offer me a great deal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But make no mistake, like I want to fight the best in the world. So a lot depends on the Amanda Cyborg fight. Yeah, if Amanda beats Cyborg, right? There's no point in her chasing Cyborg anymore. Right. She might as well just chase her own legacy now. So now she might as well stay with PFL because they're gonna have actually a women's division they're trying to build. They're gonna have sixteen. 20 girls in there all the time because they have to have that for the tournament. Right. But if Cyborg wins, right, now they're building, now it comes down to, okay, who's going to put the Cyborg Kayla Harrison fight on? Right. Kayla Harrison is the baddest woman in the world. And the right. only way to prove that, right, is to beat Cyborg's ass if she keeps winning. Right? So it's going to be really, realistically, if PFL, UFC, it could be 1FC, whoever's going to pay them to put the fight on, right. that's where they're going to go. And it's not any disrespect to PFL, UFC, 1FC, whoever you want to talk about, right? right? It's she's chasing to be the best in the world. And that's why when she was signed before she signed the PFL deal, that. she didn't know she wanted to sign the PFL deal because she wanted to fight Cyborg. And she doesn't want Cyborg to go off 
into the sunset. But you have this Amanda Cyborg. Amanda has a legit chance of beating Cyborg. I believe. I think Amanda mm-hmm. is easily beat her. And if that happens, now everyone's going to be like, there's no point. You can't say Cyborg's the baddest woman in the world anymore because Amanda is. Right. She fights at 35, 45, and she's finishing another one, you know? So this fight has a lot to do with wherever Kayla's going to go. You guys are both now, because you're in the industry, you see a lot of the issues with contract and pay. Mm-hmm. Do you see any solution to that in the future where maybe there's a collective bargaining of some point, uh, of some sort? Well, I think we see it even more just because, like, I see how I'm treated versus how he's treated, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, for but me... she's in, like, this delusional world. No, but it's just so, frust- no, it's just so frustrating. No, but it's just so frustrating. It's right. so they frustrating. It more than... than the UFC champions. So it's not the same, but you can't even compare it. Like but it's like frustrating to me to see someone who's had, whatever, nine fights in the UFC still being, ten, ten fights in the UFC still being, you know, paid shit money. Like, it's a joke. Right. For me, it's like the most frustrating thing. And that's why I don't like the UFC. I don't, like, I don't believe in their business model. And I, I'll no, fight for them if be... I have to. But I'm, I don't agree with what they're doing. There should be a fighter unit, for sure. Totally. Should be, totally. Mostly the UFC acts like we're subcontractors, but they control every single detail. You can't do anything without their approval. They tell you exactly what you have to wear. They tell you exactly where you, you're going to fight, what you're going to do. You really don't have any control. You think you have control. The only person that has control is a very select few of fighters, right. right? And then outside of that, and they're the only ones that get paid money. So they don't care. Even fighters who think they have control, like look at Colby, like they gave him this interim title and, and he's thinking like, okay, like I'm gonna, I have some control now, like I'm gonna be able to fight for the belt, I'm gonna be able to choose, the, but no, they said, well, they'll just strip him. It's well, like they, they just make up their own fucking rules as they go along. They well, then the care. example that I say, I said earlier too is the, the Diaz brothers, okay? Every fight, you know, they're like, oh, we're taking the fight, we accept it. And then they're like, oh, I don't know. And then Dana White comes out like, no, you signed the contract. You need to honor your contract, right? But the difference is, the UFC signs you a four-fight deal. They cut you after two fights. They don't pay off that contract. They don't honor You're that. Done. Look at all the one twenty-fivers that just got cut. Right? right? They don't, they, those aren't getting paid out. They're done. Like, oh no, we're just all. Oh, but it's like, uh, so as fighters, having, we have to have honor, but the UFC can do whatever they want. So it's just like they're right now. There's nothing to protect Ugh, the fighters. I'm superheated now. Got me all worked out. <laughs> I'm sorry. First with the Gina thing. Now with this. <laughs> But this is the way the fighting is, is because, right, though, the issue they would have is, right, is that if you get a fighter union, right, the only issue you're going to have is it may not sell as big a pay-per-views, but I think you'd have a better longevity. I think that if you create a real sport... Well, he has a really like, good idea yeah, where right. it's like, for the pay-per-views, the UFC should do whatever they want. They want to put on a circus, they can put on a circus. They want celebrities to fight each other, they can have celebrities fight each other. It doesn't matter. But for the regular shows... Like the ESPN shows that they're it should, like sport. it should be a sport. Yeah, and that's how you create a sport. That's how you create these these numbers that I really people thought just when WME when they came in. I really thought that it was they were going to start to like legitimize it, but I feel like it's like same as usual. They, well, they're, they're, they've almost like done the opposite. Company. Like they've been like active company. Yeah, they just want to like they want chaos. I feel like the UFC looks very short term. Yeah. yeah. Instead of looking long term. And I think the long term is that you may lose now, right? But I think if you create this legit platform, this legit like path mm-hmm. to a title, like, hey, this is what you have to do, and 
This is just the system that how it plays out that people would generalize as they already kind of do now is that MMA is UFC, right? So they, they say, oh, UFC is on. And, but you, I think if you keep building that UFC brand more than building a counter brand, right? Because mm. UFC, anyone they jump behind, right, is all of a sudden this mega star. Right. No, they have, like, they have that PR machine down to like a well-oiled. Yeah. They're, they're like, the strongest they're really PR machine in, in the world. It's, it's ridiculous how they can literally build these, this small person into a star overnight. And it's just like, how did that even happen? But it's like instead of just building this whole brand that gradually help increase the sport overall, I think, mm-hmm. is... I just don't think they're interested in making it a sport. You know? I mean, it is entertainment, but... But I just... You so have to NFL. decide. NFL is an entertainment business. It's still, if they're not selling high numbers, they're not making money. So right. they always try to tweak things to help uh, create a better... Uh, yeah, but they also... Are you guys going to treat it? I really want to, yeah. Is the, is the warm-up done? Uh, not quite. Tell them what we're going. What are you guys doing? Gavin? Going hard? Uh, okay. Hey, coach, 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 coach. Was Gina Carano a movie star before she fought Cyborgs? All right, wise man. Dang, Kayla Harrison's fun. I mean, look, she's got ability. She's big in a good way. She's strong. She's muscular. And a key part, you know, you talked about that last week as well. She's not killing herself to cut down. She's not saying, all right, I'm going to, you know, live or die at 135. They made her a weight class. They did because she, and she says that in the interview, I refuse to cut weight. I think it's morally wrong to have to cut weight to fight and hey all power to her man because she's the one who actually got all of this to happen she made pfl turn a div- make a division for her because she doesn't want to cut weight she actually said that she is bi- uh that amanda nunez is bigger than her actually when they're walking around the r- around att a lot but Amanda cuts to 135 all the time. Kayla's just walking around at her normal weight of like 160, 165. Oh, so, please, MMA, can you get? Can we get them to a future where people don't kill themselves? But that's what—that's part of what we talked about in there was that there could be a future. Like, what's the next evolution of this sport? You know, because now we've had this turn where we've had a lot more female stars become more prominent, and we've seen the growth for the men's side where we've gone all the way from 125 to 265. Like how much room to grow is there for women's MMA at this point? You've only you only had two divisions before. You're starting to try and build a third with flyweight. Can you get to the point where you have a 155 or a 170 even for women? No, I, I don't know. No. It looks like women's boxing where there's all these divisions and there's like four fighters that you've heard of. Or two. Sorry, there's two <laughs> fighters that you've heard of. I don't think so. I don't think there's that depth. But I'm saying, so you have another decade to do it, though. True, right? true, true. You, you got, you got. Because time. it took us 20 years to get to this point, even for men. So hey, she's fun and she's interesting. I know she wants Cyborg really bad. Uh, how, how do we get that? Does Cyborg need to be traded? Does Kayla have to play out her PFL deal and come to the UFC? Can we cross brand promote? No, right? What? How do we get that? So. I don't know if you caught it in that interview or not, but Tony kind of uh, spilled the beans there that that last uh, tough 
was supposed to be for Kayla. They wow. wanted to make Kayla a 145 featherweight and make that a showcase for her. And then the hope would be that she wins the show and then they pair her against Cyborg. And then somehow PFL found a million dollars and they kept her, right? Mm-hmm. That's yep. interesting. Where did they get this million dollars from? Ray Cepho doesn't have that money, does he? <laughs> nah, they're probably borrowing it from uh, our boy Randy Couture yeah. or, ba- or Buzz <laughs> Rutten. <laughs> wow. Wow. Hey, good interview. Excited to see her come back. And, uh, and look, she's putting together a, a fun career there. She's, there's some rousy uh, comparisons in certain degrees, but she's a different, different fighter and different person. I think she's got more power. I think Certainly. she's definitely got more power. No, no doubt about it. All right, Rafe, or, uh, Rafe, Rafe Bartholomew, Rafe. my boxing <laughs> po- cut. This would happen. This is why you don't uh, record two podcasts in one day. Uh, <laughs> all right, wise man, let's get into our weekend preview, and it's a fight card that I care the heck out of. From uh, from history, this will be our final FS one. Uh, sorry, Big Fox. This will be our final Big Fox card, right? That UFC We've actually had. We actually had our last FS one yes. card, and nobody realized that. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, we all remember. What was it November? 2011, Cain Velasquez getting knocked out by Junior Dos Santos for the heavyweight title on Big Fox, starting out a deal that has brought the UFC a crap ton of money, really helped them get sold for $4 billion, helped build that up. This will be the final one. UFC goes to ESPN starting in January, and this is not only a heck of a good main event-wise, but this four-fight main card as things stand right now, I care about all four. I really? do. Really? Yes. Why? Tell, all right, wait. I can understand three of them. All right, you let's tell start, me why let's start you care about the, the fourth. Fight, I don't care about the undercard, really. I mean, I'll watch a couple of those guys, but, uh, Jim Miller, Charles Oliver, yes! Veterans, why yes! Did, I'll watch why that. Is Jim Miller still fighting? Yeah, he should not still be fighting. What is he on? The seven <laughs> fight losing streak, but him and Charles Oliver, that's fun business, okay? Problem with Jim Miller is you probably end up winning this. He's on it. He's lost four of his last five. He'll probably end up winning this to keep his career alive. Anyway, I care about that for action. Bantamweights, Rob Font, Sergio Pettis. Yeah. All right. Pettis coming up from fly. Yes. Yes, brother. I care no, about that. I, that. My joke was Jim Miller still fighting. <laughs> okay. But that co-main, Edson Barbosa, Dan Hooker. Hooker could be the next thing at lightweight. We already know this. He, we know he works out and trains with our boy, the style bender. You look at that run he's been on of four straight wins. Yes, one of them over Jim Miller, but he destroyed him. He looks good, man. He's figuring it out. He's 28. I know he's already, you know, he's taken a couple of losses since he joined UFC. I believe he's got three losses with the UFC, but feels like a long time ago. Last few years, he's been hot. Long, technical striker. This will be a fun matchup here against Barbosa. You, you like, you like Hooker in this or what? I feel like I, it's the smart pick to make. To, to take Hooker because Barbosa has just looked awful in his last couple of bouts. Like, he beat Benil Daryush with that flying knee, which was insane. Like, Benil Daryush, like, looking up at the ceiling, like, did not understand what life was anymore. But Khabib took his soul. Yes. And then, and then Kevin Lee took whatever was left. And Edson so, was willing to empty the jug that night. Like, he was like, if you're going to kill me, kill me now. Basically, right. So, I don't, but you this is a, say but that, this is almost a perfect trap fight where like we're talking up Hooker as something, right. and then the veteran Edson Barbosa finds Fountain of Youth once more. Like the gate, this is almost one of those gatekeeper type things for Barbosa, right? Where he's got to yes. tell these youngins like, "Hey, this is still my territory. You get out of here." Yeah, yeah, like Mr. Weidman said. And everybody, thank you. And this is still my boy. 
Right. I am still a prote- contender in this division. And I hate when Mr. Weidman said that. It's so <laughs> lame, right? Um, yeah, this is an interesting fight. It, it, there's a crossroads element to it. If Dan Hooker's for real, he'll win it. If Barboza's still got a career in him, he'll win it. Interesting matchup. I like that a lot. But we come for the main event, which could be bombs, brother. Kevin Lee, Al Iaquinta, Quinta, Quinta, your your preference. If there's a name, I'll butcher it. Let's just get that out of the way, okay? <laughs> Al Iaquinta. It's a rematch, of course, of their 2014 bout at UFC 169. Raging Al in between uh, selling some uh, condos. Yep. Won a unanimous decision. That was a long time ago. It's a different Kevin Lee from four years ago. This is an important fight in terms of that those deep, lightweight standings that we talked about. Probably not going to see a tournament anytime soon, but you can make leaps. We know we saw Kevin Lee lose to Tony Ferguson in that interim title fight. Comes back, goes through hell against Barbosa. If he wins here against a guy who just fought for the title, this could be the uh, the nice catapult for Kevin Lee into big business. A buddy of mine actually believes that if Kevin Lee gets this win and then gets another one, he might be the guy who could stop Khabib. Wow. Uh, yeah. He thinks that he's got the ground game and the wrestling ability to, to counteract whatever Khabib brings to the table. Prototype-wise, so is... he seems to have that. He seems to have that prototype that you would want against Khabib. There's no doubt about that. But This is definitely a huge fight. This is almost like what I was talking about to start the podcast with Connor against Max, where – if you run this rematch back, what can we see? What's the different? What kind of different fighter are we going to see? Kevin Lee was 20 years old for this fight, or 21 years old for this fight when they fought in 2014. It was his UFC he debut. Has, he has grown a lot since then, and he looks like he has it. So if he can finish Raging Al here or put on just a really good show in general, I think you might see him catapulting in 2019 up those rankings again. He might get another shot at Tony. He might get a shot at Dustin even. I don't know. Like he, But he needs to go out and he needs to show why he is a top five lightweight I agree. in this, this is world. A, this is a huge spot for him, a huge chance to get himself into one of those big-time money fights and those big-time fights where the winner would face the champion. Uh, for reaching out, it's tough. I never really thought a ton of him. I thought he's a solid hand. He's a role player. He's a contender. But we got to be honest. After watching Habib... Like, take the man out of Connor. You gotta tip your cap at Raging Al for going five with Habib and having moments late in that bout. I, I mean, that, that I think that's a victory for him in that loss, right? Took that and, on extreme last minute. It's kind of a victory. Taking, taking the fight on twenty four hours notice. <laughs> yeah, so, like, do we give him enough credit for that? I don't think he does get enough credit for that, honestly. Like, and it was only his second fight in two years. Because of all the deal, the issues he had with Dana and UFC um, brass, because he was he was almost blackballed for like three years. He had he had two fights. He fought Diego Sanchez and Khabib, and before that, he last fought Jorge Masvidal in 2015. Wow! So this is a huge fight for Al in terms of hey, do I need to, do I get a new contract with a win here? Do you guys still consider me like a high end person that you can sell, or do you just keep pushing me back? So. Even if Al wins here, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him and Dana because they always still have that inner strife, and he might not get a contract again. He might he might just still be a prelims guy to them for whatever reason. I think we're going to see fireworks. I think it's going to be a fun fight. I just think Kevin Lee's a better fighter, so it's up to him, the onus. It could go the distance. They're both terrible guys, but I'd like to see Kevin Lee get a stoppage here and make a statement. Yeah. He, 
he needs a stoppage. He needs to look great, too, because for all these wins that Kevin Lee has had, let's not forget that he was out on his feet and doing the, the running man at one point when, when Edson Barbosa kicked him in the head. You remember that? Yes. Yes, he, he He almost, like, fell on his face and his foot bent backwards because he was so out of it. Yes, I remember that. that there there was uh you know, that could have been stopped. That fight could have been stopped. Very interesting. Yeah. This should be a good ass fight card. I, I I told you those other fights I'm looking forward to. A couple names on the undercard, but it's one of those fights. Like in reality, is this a, a good enough fight for a Fox card? No. But I kinda really like it. At the same time, it's a pretty good ass fight night card if it was on FS one. Instead it's on Big Fox, it'll end that run. And that will end this show. Special thanks to Kayla Harrison and Tony Martin for joining us. Uh be wise, you got any message to the listeners out there? Anything? We out.